This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. Hi, this is Todd DeVoe with EM Weekly. In studio today, this is my first in-studio guest, so it's kind of cool, is I have with me Randy Steiner. And Randy is an author and a, and a keynote speaker. So Randy, you want to introduce yourself and tell me a little about yourself, your background, and why you're here today. How are you doing, Todd? I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I've, uh, my name is Randy Steiner. I'm the uh, emergency manager over at Cal State Los Angeles. Before then, I worked primarily for Orange County Healthcare Agency and their environmental health department, managing their, coordinating their emergency uh, preparedness, also coordinating their radiological emergency response team for the now defunct Santa Fe nuclear power plant. <laughs> Did a slight stint for a local water district down Laguna Beach, until, but now I'm uh, I'm purely uh, higher ed emergency management, and I'm loving it. Cool, and you're also a Marine. Yes, sir. <laughs> Semper Fi. Semper Fi. So EM in higher ed is its own animal, and I know this because with my stint in higher education emergency management, it's really different from any emergency response and or management that I've ever done uh, in my 25 years on the job. So, but I want to hear about your experience, especially at a large university like Cal State LA, um, what your challenges are and making the program work and dealing with academics and dealing with administration and budget issues and all that kind of cool stuff. So tell me a little bit about Cal State LA and what programs you have running right now. Well, uh, Cal State LA in itself has got, I'm, I'm actually the, the uh, first civilian emergency manager there. Um, it was run through the, the police department, and they had a, a very robust uh, system. Um, unfortunately, because of you know levels of law enforcement and the actual bodies that they had, they really needed all the cops doing cop work, so they hired me coming as the uh, emergency manager. So I walked into a pretty good system. We had a, a, a decent plan, although it was, it was highly tactical. Um, we had a, uh, a, a, a standalone EOC, which we still have. We've had great supplies, a great warehouse, um, a lot of resources on campus. And uh, so walking into that was, was really a, a, a very good thing for me, I mean, moving up as an emergency manager. What it became very clear uh, very early on, I mean, I, I sort of cut my teeth in emergency management in the, you know, the county and, you know, at the, at the jurisdictional level or what we consider, you know, traditional emergency management. Right, right. Um, although that transfers over to, you know, higher ed, the a college campus is its own thing. And when you look out at the jurisdictions, unless you're doing a, a substantial amount of outreach to the various jurisdictions and all the jurisdictions around the campus, I mean, for Cal State LA, we're, we've got Alhambra to the east. We, we're in the northeast corner of Los Angeles city limit, so we're, we deal directly with Los Angeles. We've got Monterey Park to our south. We've got the county EOC right up the street. We've got the uh, Los Angeles County Fire Department's training center right there. So we're in the middle of all these areas, and a lot of different jurisdictions without the outreach to all of the emergency management functions not just police and fire there's a real big lack of understanding of what we do at that level i mean on a good day at the middle of semester we could have 30 32,000 people on campus that's a small city i grew right. up in lincoln nebraska and i tell you that's that's the size of some pretty decent sized cities when you go to the midwest that's a lot of people and a lot of resources 
and that would which would be required to support those people in an emergency. So it's kind of like its own little mini jurisdiction that way. So it's very, you know, obviously it's it's very appropriate for a, a university or a, any size college campus to have its own emergency response system, its own EOC, its own capability to, to reach out to the community around it. So that was part of the work that I, I did initially was starting reaching out to all the emergency management functions around the university, making sure they knew where we were, what we had, what kind of resources were available, um, both for us and from us, if, if it needed to come to that. Uh, what I found in, in doing that was, you know, to a large extent, the, the surrounding communities really didn't tap into the university at all. And that's, I found that's true with a lot of places without, you know, the university is kind of, that's, they're their own thing. They're, right. they're doing it. And, you know, therefore we're not really worried about it. But then you sort of start talking to them and coming up with the, you know, the realization of if we had to activate our EOC, it's something that's probably impacted the entire area and we're going to have to all work together. Right. So bringing that in and making sure that the surrounding community was wired in to our functions and understood the resource that we, we had for them as well as you know what resources we may be asking from them. So those challenges, just you know, realizing that from, from the environment that I came from and, and moving into that was a little bit of a learning curve right. for me to do that. On the good side... You know, most universities are part of systems, or it, it seems like there's a pretty good network within higher ed emergency management where you can tap into other other areas. Cal State system has a we have an affinity group where all the emergency managers from all the campuses get together on a teleconference um, every quarter. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm sorry, every other month, and we discuss you know all the things that are applicable, and that's been a really really uh, well functioning group for everybody involved we, you know it, it, it turns out there's plenty of things both to keep us busy at the college campus level and the evolving you know certain nature of a college campus but also there's a lot of constants hmm. that go on between campuses so it makes it possible uh, and a little easier to go and find standards at work for all the campuses we're in the process for example of standardizing our emergency response plans system-wide mm. the idea being is that you know if something happens in northern california and san francisco or someplace and san francisco state goes three days and they burn out their eoc and they need resources right, I, right. maybe i can come up there and help out or some of us other emergency management emergencies the personnel can go up and help so that's really kind of cool that you can go and and, and help you know, mutual aid built in between your own university system. And that's key to a lot of uh, success because, I mean, I know that, you know, working in Orange County, we had that between cities, um, you know, with the small 33 cities that we had. And I know everybody, a lot of small cities where, you know, we had maybe, maybe an alpha team, you know, definitely if there was a Bravo team, it might've been like three, four people possibly, but never full staffing. Or shift one, shift two. It depends on which which way you want to talk. You know. And uh, so for sure, so that's really great that you guys can can do that. So I mean, some of the examples here, specifically in, in California, that maybe people out there might not have heard of, but Cal State Fullerton had an issue where they were Fullerton PD was pulling over a car. The car did a little mini high speed chase for a short distance. The guys bailed out, and they bailed out into Cal State Fullerton. I think that they might have had a gun. 
I don't know if they ever recovered or not. Yeah, they locked down the campus. Yeah, they locked it. Yeah, I remember that. but I'm not sure. I think they had a gun, or they thought they had a gun. I'm not sure if they did or not. But regardless, they locked down the entire campus. And I got to sit down with um, the emergency manager from Kelsey Fullerton and kind of discussed some of the issues that they had there. Uh, we went through a tabletop exercise with that, and it was bringing in all the different, you know, SWAT teams uh, from around the area to help clear the buildings and. It's crazy about the amount of resources that have to be used just to just to do that. You Absolutely. Know? I look at what happened at UCLA. It was UCLA. the same exact thing. Their EOC activated. You know, that whole thing ended in a couple of seconds. It turned right. out to just be a homicide. But it lasted all day. And, and you know, it, the resources that needed to be coordinated in and out of there were pretty intense. So Santa Monica, when they had that, again off-campus issue that came on campus then you had the shooting up in portland which was um that was on the campus itself but you know we're not only just dealing with the campus issues you have to deal with things that are surrounding the surrounding the campus that people can can come off campus onto campus because i don't know of any purely closed campus maybe one that i could think of around the area Mm -hmm. here well, Cal State LA isn't closed by any means. It is a public university. Part of <laughs> what makes it a, uh, a big challenge also provides us a level of security, and that is Cal State LA, the way it's situated, really only has three main entrances and exits. Right. So, you know, somebody coming onto campus to escape or it would be, they'd be very ill-advised they're not going to make it our campus pd would be able to handle that situation you know obviously more more on on the the front of everybody's mind is the active shooter on campus you know the kid that just comes to class and decides this is the day that he's had enough you know that that creates sort of the opposite issue of you know either doing lockdowns or evacuations we had an evacuation from campus a few years ago that really didn't go well because we really didn't have a campus evacuation plan. And it took us almost two and a half hours. There was a bomb threat. It took us almost two and a half hours to evacuate the campus just because of the way the logistical challenges, um, just the the geographical challenges. So that made us rethink our our plan. I sort of came in at the tail end of it. But now we have a, a really solid evacuation plan. We've got sort of a coordinated effort that if we did have to evacuate the campus, how we would do that. And uh, it's, you know, although we haven't had to actually evacuate the campus at that point, it is something we drill on and we keep in people's minds. Well, think of think of a place like uh, Scripps in San Diego or Point Lomo that are right on the beach or, or, or up in Malibu, um, Pepperdine. You know, those they have some serious uh, movement issues going with that too, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know? so yeah, that's, another, that's another thing too to think about are, are the evacuation, you know, I, I know at the... University where I'm at, we have two points of entry. That's it, and uh, we also have residents that are on either side of those. So you're talking, I think, uh, 78 homes on one side and 100 mm-hmm. and something on the other. You know, and all those people would be possibly being evacuated as well. So, yeah, evacuation plans are 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 key, and uh, you know, it took us a while to work on ours, and I think we have a pretty solid one. But, um, but yeah, think about th- I we're not moving 35,000 people. Yeah, you know, I'm only moving. Yeah. And that's an issue. I mean, when you think about an earthquake and you add in infrastructure damage, I would imagine that any college campus in a, in a, a catastrophic event affecting the entire campus, the objective is going to be to clear the campus as, as best you can. 
so you can deal with the issue on campus. That's the advantage that a college campus has over a jurisdiction or a city is that our objective is going to be to get people out of the way, fix whatever has to be done, and then you know, resume our operations. Do you have housing? Yes, we do. Okay. How yeah. many students do you have housing? Uh, I think we have about 2,500. It's not a lot. That we don't have, but we're going to be expanding that. But yeah, there's still twenty five hundred so, yeah, people still, that you have to either house that are either, there, and but right. then you're, you 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 bring, you you drag in the other group of people that just can't leave, that can't navigate their way home, or are afraid to go home, right? That are stuck there on campus during a, a normal school day. We could have almost fifteen hundred minor unaccompanied minor children on campus. Wow. We have two high schools on campus on our campus, and we have a child care center. So uh, reunification issues are going to be a huge thing with with any college campus. And most college campuses right. have that, that same setup. So they're going to have to be dealing with, you know, what to do with these kids. How do you take a bunch of infants through sixth grade and, you know, they march off to their assembly area and, well, you're going to leave them there? You know, you, there you, there's a lot of things to be figured out with that. Right. Well, well you know, th- saying that, Troy High and Orange Fullerton just had a, a scare for lack of a better term, it was in the news yesterday regarding two students that were plotting, mm-hmm. and they caught them, and they, you know, obviously nothing happened, but that's right across the street from Cal State Fullerton. Yeah. You know, so that would have impacted that school for absolutely, sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. If they would have locked down a high school, probably at least a portion of the camps would have been locked down. Oh. Not the oh, whole thing. And if they st- and if they ran, you know, then they got yeah, where they going to go? Right, yeah, yeah, they got this big wide campus over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's go hide in there. I mean, that's like one of those things that we think about on a university is that you also have your surrounding community that's going to to impact you as well. Now, do you do you guys do any like um, sheltering or or do you offer that for Red Cross shelter type thing or? Do you guys have partnerships or MOUs with the cities that you'll take additional people if, if they can? We don't really have, you know, official MOUs. We really just have understanding of this is what we're going to be dealing with. The jurisdiction surrounding any major university cannot ignore the needs of those universities. So it, they, they have to be part of that whole, you know, overall plan. So, you know, in terms of, of MOUs, we, we don't have... Well, the Red Cross, part of the issue with with having a Red Cross shelter on your campus, at least the issue that we would have, is that the Red Cross, if they open a shelter, it's got to be open to all the public. And the last thing we're going to be doing in a situation or we're going to want to be doing in a situation where we're trying to evacuate the campus is bring people into the campus. Right. So our plan with the Red Cross and our it's not doesn't require an MOU. It simply requires a call to the, the city's Red Cross person during an event and say where are the nearest shelters and then we would provide transportation with our county at or our our, our our campus assets to bring people to various shelters right. if that was required versus having a shelter established on campus that being said there's still going to be a lag time of who knows how long before those shelters are established we're going to have that issue that there are going to be people that just can't leave they have no place to go. They have no transportation. Right. So, you know, for a while, that's going to be a concern. You know, of course, in our EOC, we have our care and shelter person who's going to be dealing with that. So our EOC structure is based on ICS and NIMS, same basic positions. It may not be as large as a big jurisdiction. I mean, you look right. at something like L.A. where it's a whole page. I have, <laughs> I believe it's 28 positions in my EOC, 28 seats I got to fill. And right. I can cover pretty much everything. Different campuses vary, although we talk about standards, you know, and planning, um, you know, every campus has its own 
thing. When I talk about standards, I, I don't mean templates. That's something we, we were right. very clear when we, we when I say we, I'm talking about the Cal State uh, Emergency Management Affinity Group. Everybody sort of latched on this idea of standardization and, and understanding that, you know, without any any really formal mutual aid, it's if San Francisco calls L.A. and says, hey, we're spent. Can you send us a couple people? We're going to do that. There right, are right, right. agreements within the Cal State system that allow that to happen. But it's the idea is, you know, understanding of when I pick up that plan, I'm going to know pretty much what's in it. But I'm going to also know it's not going to be exactly like mine. Templates don't work right. in emergency management. We all know that. Right. But standards are good. And understanding the common threads that run through all these campuses well, and being able to plan around that right. is, is a good thing. And, and just to clarify that, you know, especially for my students that are listening here, when we talk about templates, he's talking about the cut and paste, you know, just control. Now your name here. here Here's right. your emergency plan. Turn um, it in. There are templates that are out there that will give you guidance on how to build uh, an emergency operations plan. And so say like, you know, section one should have this information and section two should have this information in it. Those are good templates to use. Uh, but the ones that are just, you know, boilerplate, like if you hire some um, uh, consultants, some of the smaller firms sometimes have these boilerplate plans that come in and they just kind of like stick your name in here and, uh, uh, you know, control H, you know, find and replace. And yeah, yeah those, those don't work because they, they need to be specific for your needs and, and for, um, what you guys are going through specifically as as a as a jurisdiction or a business or a university you know my university where i'm at you know we have what 1500 undergrad we have 900 kids that live on campus you know maybe another few thousand uh graduate students that come on a part-time basis so obviously our needs are going to be a lot different than somebody who has 35,000 students walking around on, on any given day uh plus you know the uh look geolocation of that of that facility you know so think about that when we talk about uh the uh, planning process yeah and uh, you know the, a template is a good thing to use as a like like you you said is a, is a great thing to use as a guidance document but a lot of times in emergency management you'll find and especially in smaller jurisdictions that you know templates are just used to to fill in your name here any any time you use a template you you have to go and do a full hazard analysis. You have to really understand your specific situation, because although templates are good guidance documents, it's you know you're going to have to latch onto those standards. And if those standards haven't been established, it becomes very challenging, you know, right, for a right. campus. So, but knowing one of the one of the great things about being in a system like CSU is that you know there's a lot of people like Fullerton, like CSUN, like San Francisco, like Monterey Bay who have built these amazing emergency response systems that is so easy to tap into and you know get the best management practices from i've got a whole wealth of places if i've got a question about some operation in my eoc or some task that needs to be done i've got this whole resource that i can go to to talk to people and find out what's worked and what you know where people have run into problems and i can develop my checklists and my my processes around that it's really a, a great thing to have well, that's a good point. Yeah, I do agree with you there. Okay, so it's time for a break, and uh, we're going to uh, hear a word from our sponsors. Are you ready for the unthinkable? 
Call our friends at High Speed Tac Med. They provide custom emergency planning and training that saves lives. With years of experience in law enforcement, search and rescue, responding to and managing large-scale incidents, HSTM will evaluate and prepare written plans, training sessions, drills, and debriefs, leaving you with the necessary tools and experience that can save lives. Call HSTM today to discuss your specific needs, and the staff of High Speed Tac Med will help ensure that you're ready and are in complete compliance. Call High Speed Tac Med today, 805-419-0024. Again, that's 805-419-0024. The friendly staff at HSTM is standing by. Emergencies happen. Whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather-related, or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. So that was a, a nice word from our sponsors, and it's uh, people like that that uh, keep us going. So thank you for uh, everything. Thank you for listening to that. So okay, so just to recap a little bit here. So we talked a little bit about the planning process. We talked about um, some of the challenges of of the working in the university uh, as far as uh, the geopolitical fences that you have around you. Now. What are some of the challenges that you have specifically getting out the word about emergency planning, emergency response, those things to your faculty staff um, and to your administrators and to the students? Well, it's it's all about communication and and the ability to get information out. It's the same issue that any jurisdiction has. You know, like public information is public information, whether it's going to, you know, the the staff, faculty, students, or the general public. So, the, you know, the, the, those challenges are always going to be there and the same challenges that everybody has. But finding ways to, uh, you know, reach the audience. For example, one of the things that we did at Cal State L.A. is we developed an emergency preparedness video. Working with our, our TVFM, TV Film and Media School, they gave us some students. We produced this really great video that's online now. Um, and we use that in, or we encourage our, our faculty to use that in their classes as part of the orientation process to show people this five-minute video that covers emergency preparedness and is geared towards the student population, although the message is universal. So doing things like that and finding innovative ways to, to, to reach out. We do a... Um, a weekly newsletter that goes out, a weekly brief, a campus brief that sort of talks about all the things that are going on, and that's got an emergency preparedness section in it, so we can always push, you know, our cert team or any any events that are coming up. On that note, we we do plan and and carry out um, emergency preparedness events on campus this fall. We're going to be doing a a whole emergency preparedness day where cert teams coming out. I'm partnering with the community around us to, to bring any assets in. We're going to make that a really big thing. Cool. And just keeping it in people's minds. Right. You know, uh, you always have, we, we have uh, two campus wide evacuation drills every year where we evacuate every building on campus. 
Um, one of them is a shakeout every year. Uh, we always do one in the spring as well, so both semesters. You know, usually we get really good response with that. I mean, you really know how engaged people are when you look at your evacuation exercises and you hear about, you know, a professor's shutting the door and <laughs> yeah. I, and everybody has that yeah. issue and right, we do right, too right. but it's 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 pretty rare on our campus we really try to throw the culture out there uh, and make people understand that you know hey, this is important you know and this is uh, without this things could get very bad so you know it's good to support this and most people you know agree with that and you can always tap into that of course there's going to be people that you're in the middle of a midterm when the exercise goes and they they get a little peeved and right, rightly right. so. I mean that's a drag, but it also earthquake doesn't care. Right. You know we try to be of course conscientious about you know all those times, but right, with all right. the overlapping classes, you're not, you're never going to be able to hit them all perfectly. So that outreach is very important, and you know our staff, you know training the people for our EOC and providing training that is applicable. One of the biggest challenges we have in higher ed is the same challenge we have probably in most jurisdictions, which is the lack of time, that people don't have time to go to ICS 300, 400. You know, a lot of times, they, you know, getting them to take 100 is a, a, a challenge. <laughs> so we're in the process of integrating, you know, training and developing training that's more applicable, that's easier to deliver in a shorter time period, and really focuses, of, while, while NIMS and ICS and SEMS are all very, very important to the, our overall understanding of what it is we're doing and why, when somebody's sitting at a chair in front of a computer for the next 12 hours, they really just want to know what are they supposed to do right, right, in right. that box. And so the training is really there to develop that. And it's it's engaging people on that level, getting them trained up from the ground up, makes them want to learn more. Then it's easier to go back and say, well, there are these training opportunities out there. You know, of course, the the requirements of SIMS and NIMS are, are, are you know, very flexible with that. There's not, you know, any hard fast with that, as right, we right. all know. So being able to develop those trainings and then making those trainings uh, something that really benefits the responders is very good because if they understand what they're doing, they're more likely to be engaged um, and they're not going to be fearful. You know, that's the biggest thing that keeps people from becoming you know, one of your EOC people. So I used to say at, at some of my talks is that, you know, the people that do this, we do this for a living. And it's great. And you, you know, I, I, I gave a speech one time in front of a emergency management, the California Emergency Services Association. So it was all emergency managers. So you talk about preaching to the choir. It's like we do this for a living. Right. But for all these people in that room, the people that fill those seats in your EOC don't. And that's universal. I mean, some do. You got some. You know, our you know police departments or other jurisdictions or people that have their yeah, but fire. Even, and police even, even with the fire, well. <laughs> Even with the fire, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, even the fire even police, they, they're not you know, It's not, yeah, it's not, yeah. Even, and that's a big challenge as well. Is you know separating the fact that an EOC is not a tactical asset. You know, we train in ICS one, IS one hundred or two hundred. They talk about the instant command system, but they talk about it at the instant command post. Right. We have an instant command post. It's our, our mobile command vehicle. That's where that happens. But in the EOC, the EOC isn't a tactical element. It's there to coordinate. It's there to document. Right. It's there to you know deal with all these different resources at the at the higher level. So, emergency managers that develop their EOC in a tactical level. And that's how I learned you know the ICS was from the tactical viewpoint. Well, I think I think, I think and you you probably too, did too. Yeah. And I'm, so going into an EOC and thinking tactical, you really start getting clogged up there. So you really have to get out of that. So developing that, you know, that non-tactical more coordination based 
emergency command or instant command structure is 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 key to that. Yeah, you know, the whole process. You, you know, coming from the field, being a first responder, you know, running EMS and and then getting into the EOC. It, there's benefits and there's definitely some double-edged sword for sure because you think in the tactical element, you know what I mean? And it's it's hard to pull yourself out of there sometimes. It's and really hard to pull it, yourself. You know, when you go into the, the Coast Guard planning P, what's the first blue square? Tactics meeting. Right. You know, I had to take that out. It took me a while. When I was developing my planning P for my OC, it took me a while to actually see that and be like, you know what? I need to take out tactics. I need to put in coordination because right. that's what that first meeting in an EOC is. Right. It's a right. coordination meeting. You're not you're not doing tactics in the EOC. I mean, you can, but that makes it an instant command post and not an EOC. And that that's a very subtle difference, but it's also very important when you're dealing with the type of responder that I have coming in. These people right. that are not emergency response people, they're administrative people, they're executives, they're vice presidents, they're, they're, they're administrative staff. They don't do it for a living, and all of a sudden something happens and they have to come down and do it all. It's, yeah. got, it's a whole different – it's not a different structure. It's a different way of looking it's a at mindset that structure. For sure, yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. sort of having to rotate a little bit and look at it from a different perspective. Right. I had that conversation – I mean, I, and obviously at the university where I'm at, Right now, it's a small university, and again, we're staff have staff issues. Ah, yeah, right. And so, I I really went through this process with, you know, we wanted to develop an EOC, you know, have the physical room, have all the stuff, and then when we were to start drilling, like my boss, he's a former uh, police chief. You know what I mean? And then you know, and and so he's a doer, very tactical. Yeah, very tactical. And so I told him, I said, well, if we're going to be at this kind of doing the tactics stuff, we're going to have to rethink an EOC and make it more like an incident management team. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. And, and an IMT, an, an an IMT. IMT. Where's an IMT work? They work at an ICP. Right. You know, the EOC, I mean, you can use an EOC as an ICP, but if you're right. doing tactics... It's not really functioning as an EOC. And, and that's what I told him. So we're not. It's, so we, it's, it's hard to, to get people out of that mindset sometimes. Yeah, maybe, and, and like I said, sometimes, and, and kind of going back on this, depending on the size that you have, maybe the traditional you know, EOC that we're thinking about might not be what you need. Maybe you might need to run it like an IMT where you have tactics coming out. And you, you, and know, that's and com- you could do that. Completely dependent on your plan, right. on your program, Size and of how it, you're your, setting it up. Yeah, yeah, and IMT is obviously, you know, I, I, I got really, when I took the 0304 course, mm-hmm. my eyes were wide open. I'd taken how many... How many, Todd? How many classes did you take before you took I uh, three or four? Yeah, <laughs> and you get pieces, and yeah, okay, to situation awareness and all this other stuff. There's all these different classes and how to work and uh, you know the unified command and everything. Until I took O three O four or three O five, I had really no actual concept of what goes on at an instant command post mm-hmm. or the tactical you know operations that occur that course really opened my eyes to that um and i kind of went with that and i think i to to extent where i was at the time i think it was appropriate but you know i tried to bring that same system into my cal state oc and it wasn't working right because it was simply because of that tactical element but all i had to do was remove that tactical element and turn it into more of a coordination element and get people's mindset. What does an EOC do? 
And EOC documents the incident. Right. And EOC coordinates the resources. And EOC moves information. You know, beyond that, one or two other probably very important things. But beyond that, they're not doing tactics. They're not telling the people in the field what to do. No. That's why they're in EOC, because they're a step up above that instant command post. You know, I, I like to talk about, like, like when I teach, talk about EOC, I, I talk about levels, right? And, you know, when we're getting tactics, I mean, this is, this is in the weeds. This is when you're out there and you're doing contact. Yeah. And then the... the tactics you, are for guys... Around a, the, the bed of a truck, right? And then, then, that's, then that's where the tactics happen. Right. And then you move to the, then the you move the IMT, you know, the incident management team, and the incident management team, you're like at the thousand foot level. You yeah. Know? I mean, you can you can do. You're dipping into tactics, right. But you're moving also into coordination right. and resources. And, and like in the military, you know, you could do a quick, you know, parachute in, and you're going to be able to, to to get boots on the ground quickly. Right. You know what I mean? And then you know and then your next level up is going to be your you know your EOC you, you know and you're going to be at the you know 10 15,000 foot you know and that's a that's a special operations jump in to get it to get <laughs> to get down that there that takes a lot of coordination right. a lot of planning yeah so this you is know, not just you know I just jump, jump you need a it. bunch of guys in the front of the plane figuring stuff out right. before you go jumping out the back of the right. plane <laughs> so, so you're, you're 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 up there you're not getting down to those exactly. weeds quickly you know no, you no. got a long way yeah, down so to the get weeds to those are weeds. Very long way. Yeah, so don't have to worry about the weeds. Yeah, so yeah, so I mean, and and that's this problem is like those of us like, and again, that's one of my issues is, you know, I, I was a responder and I want to be in the weeds, and you got to pull yourself. But out, I man. think this whole concept of what an EOC is is evolving. I think it has been. I mean, really, you think about it. Two decades ago, nobody knew much about any of this other than firefighters. This whole emergency management vocation has kind of evolved over the last. 15, 20 years. Well, it's a 30-year-old industry. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it I was mean, pretty much dominated by the fire departments for, for, for years and years. Right. Well, two levels, right? You had your, your national, not national defense, you had your uh, civil defense, right? And, you know, the, those guys doing nuclear. Yeah. Everything was nuclear back then, right? From the 1950s until the 1970s. Everybody was, well, exactly. you know, it was all nuclear. And then you had your firefighters back in you know the day, and then obviously with fire scope in the nineteen seventies that they actually became an instant command system. Yeah, the development you know? of sims. So and right, and then California obviously we have sims after the uh, uh, after the uh, Oakland Hills fire. But that being said, you know the, the whole development of EM, and you know I did a piece on this before, but the whole development of EM. Is either hey you got to develop a plan and you know you're a broken firefighter or a broken cop like your knees busted out or whatever like that and so here you go yeah, and, so you here can, you go. and you can type so <laughs> guess what you're gonna write the plan or or you're the unit you yeah, know exactly. the unit uh, secretary and so you know you got to type it up or you know you're the dispatcher and you got to type it up and you became the expert and so when the chief had a question they would ask you and yeah. you're like you know here's our person and and it wasn't a really developed into a a traditional thing. So yeah, I mean, we are a young, young industry. You know, we're you know pretty much since the development of Jimmy Carter and FEMA. Yeah. If you want, to yeah, think about the that stuff way. they're teaching in universities now, these emergency management master's degrees, that all comes from stuff that we developed. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> these people that go back 15, 16 years, we're, we're thinking like, you know what, that it makes sense to do it this way. But that's how the whole EOC. My point was that that that's the EOC as a as an entity as as evolved and it's continuing to evolve and it's it's very one of the really interesting things about being in in, in a college being at, at at cal state la was was 
being able to look at the EOC and how it's evolved and being able to structure it and bring in these new, you know, not necessarily new, but innovative things into the EOC to, to make it work better. And there's always that opportunity to do that, you know, in any EOC. As we were talking about before, it took me a little bit to get out of that tactical mindset right, right. and to really see it as, you know, it's, it's, I mean, tactics are happening and, and obviously they, you know, the, the results of those tactics have to be monitored, but there's the EOC function in that doesn't necessarily have to be about building tactics. It can be the people right. in the field are building the tactics and we're supporting those tactics. And that's pretty much how our system is all set up. I'm not going to be telling somebody from the EOC how to turn off a water line or fix a gas line or you know fill that hole or anything. They're going to be developing that on their own in the field. But I will be providing them with whatever resources they need. I will be making sure that they have everything they need to keep their, their, their crews healthy and safe and you know we'll continue to monitor i'll be able to tell them if it's going to start raining and you know that's that's what the eoc <laughs> is there for that's that's I, why it exists i like to think too and i'm going to go back to the military and to especially the the marine corps way of things is the commander's intent right i mean you know from the eoc we we push down to the to the you know, instant command saying this is what our intent is this is what the you know the director of emergency management for the county of x you know he wants this to occur and he pushes that down and it's up to the field guys to make it happen yeah you know and how they do it doesn't make a difference if he goes left you know left 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 or right 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 but as long as he gets in that circle mm-hmm. to to uh, put that whatever he's doing out you know that's their that's their job to figure that out because they have a better understanding uh, and they have the visual of what's going on on a tactical level where in the EOC we know what we want on the strategic level yeah and know? and there's a very clear line between the field elements the EOC and the policy group in a university setting I mean the president's main concern not people potentially being injured or killed or whatever notwithstanding obviously any president's going to be worried about that but their, their question to the EOC is going to be, can we continue to operate? Right. Can the, are we having classes tomorrow? That's going to be the main question that any president of any university is going to have that's been catastrophically impacted. And they're going to have to report that up to the chancellor's office. Right, right. So, you know, that we have to have a really good understanding fairly quickly just because of the time crunch. And, you know, I'm, I don't have to tell you, a university closing for a couple of days... <sighs> just a couple of days, can destroy people's semesters, can destroy research. You know, the implications in a university setting are huge. So we have to have a system in place that allows us for a very rapid assessment of our university. But that's, you know, in a university, we have an advantage of that compactness that we can, you know, our, in our university, I've, I've, I've divided basically the entire campus up into sectors. I have teams assigned to each sectors with the idea of being that doing, being able to do a rapid assessment of the campus and have that information into the EOC very quickly of which buildings are damaged, which ones aren't, you know, and of course you know, we're always thinking about the catastrophic earthquake, but you know, a fire in our, our engineering building is going to require you know, us to open up our business continuity plan at some point. Yeah, and I think, it's, I think uh, I'd like to bring you back at some point to have a conversation regarding a university business continuity of operations plan. Business continuity. <clears throat> but yeah, business continuity. We have business continuity plans. Yeah, you know, it's uh, 
We had I don't know covers. what the difference is. <laughs> They're the same thing, I guess. <laughs> I guess one is just the way you say it, right? Tomato, tomato. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think that would be a great conversation um, for for another podcast. We're, we're coming up here on the on our marker here, so to our heartbreak, if you want to say it. So let's let's uh, plan another date, and we'll get you we'll back in here again, and and we'll get you talking about business continuity and operations uh, continuity here, uh, especially with the at the university level, because I think. You know, that's, that's some really important stuff. And I know that we've had this conversation in the past with a couple of our smaller universities around us. And we have a, a gentleman's handshake that if something happens, we can start doing classes over at those other universities and stuff. So, But that's a, a story for another day. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody here for uh, for listening to this podcast. And, and Randy, I have one one final question for you for the day. Okay? It's going to be a tough one. If you give away one book somebody in this industry what is it one of my it's probably a stretch to say it it, it applies directly to emergency management but it kind of does but the best book i have ever read in my life is called death valley in 49 by a guy named william lewis manley who was in death valley in 1949 and got marooned and had to walk his way out very interesting and and good story makes you understand you know what humans are capable of the value of planning and having a plan and you know how to implement things when you need to on the fly Uh, it's a very very great description of this journey and this guy as as a human being that has always been inspiring so i always recommend that that's great so death valley of 49 awesome all right well on that note we're gonna go ahead and uh say goodbye and again thank you randy for being here thank you dad all right 